Hey, hey, friends, I'm Thea Charles, and you are listening to the Push or Pivot podcast. In this series, we discuss the path someone chooses when they are at a crossroads of their life. Do they push through the adversity, or do they stop, reassess, and pivot? Today, we have the pleasure of talking to Laura Hernandez, the founder of Mama Systems, a coaching service that creates customized systems for mamas who feel overwhelmed. She and her husband live in the Dallas area with their 10 kids, three of whom have been adopted and have special needs. Welcome, welcome, Laura. I am so excited to talk with you today. Um, I read up on you and I've like followed you on Instagram and I know that you've got a lot of great things to to show, to tell us. Um, Without further ado, would you like to introduce yourself? I would love to. Um, My name is Laura and my husband and I live in the Dallas area with our 10 kiddos and we have seven biological and three through adoption out of the foster care system and that has been a good portion of our journey has been those kiddos and just how we got them and then all of the lovely issues since then and um, just all of the things have all been a challenge for us. Um, I now started, I started a business about a year and a half ago and I get to help mamas implement systems in their home to help their homes be more peaceful. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of our challenges when I got to the other side of them, I was thinking, I wish somebody would have been there to help me through this. If somebody would have been a step ahead of me and they could have said, do this, not this, um, that would have been really helpful. And so the moment I got on the other side and I found peace and order in our home, I I said, I want to do that for other mamas. Like I want to help them get this in place in their home so that they can have more peaceful lives. So that's what I do. And yeah. That's awesome. Uh, I was reading, I was like 10 kids. This woman's a superhero already. (laughs) No, I wouldn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) So when it came to your journey with motherhood, like tell us a bit about it. Yeah. So I, I've always wanted a lot of kids. I remember being really little and telling people that I wanted 20 kids when I grew up, not knowing that that's like you weirdo, like (laughs) didn't know that there was like a big stigmatism about large families and all of the things. Um, But I remember, I remember reading about, I believe it was in Uganda or the Congo or something Mm -hmm. where the warlords were, doing the awful things that they do. Yeah. And I read an article about um, how they had crucified a pregnant lady and had, I mean, this is awful and yeah. horrific and I'm so sorry I'm sharing this, but I had, I cut out this story and put it up on my wall. And I remember thinking if I could just like take in some of these kids and help them and love them because their parents are being crucified and mm-hmm. just horrific, horrific, horrific things. Um, Sorry, I was not planning on sharing that or getting emotional about that. Um, yeah, so I, I remember very early on wanting to adopt and wanting to to help to help kids and be a parent for for kids that didn't have parents. All that to say, when my husband and I were dating, it was kind of like a make it or break it situation for us. If I told him, I said, "Well, I'm going to adopt. So if you don't want to adopt, then we need to kind of cut this off because right. it's not going anywhere, right?" Uh-huh. And he was like, "Yeah, I don't really want to adopt." and that weekend he ended up watching something on TV about some kids in Haiti and uh, I don't know, random art like news thing about these kids eating trash out of a trash dump. And 
his heart was broken and changed. I was like, you know what, if we could just provide a home for one of those kids, that would be amazing. We could like, we could help be the change. Right. Yeah. So all that to say, we got married and we accidentally had three children. It just kind of happened. Um, <laughs> we do know how it happens. It just yeah, I know. You know. <laughs> wasn't part of the original plan. Correct. Thank you. Um, and so after our third, he said, Laura, I really think that we need to go ahead and if we're going to adopt, we need to go and do it. Because I don't know if I can handle more than four children. Like yeah. we need to get our fourth and then be done. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is kind of humorous now that we have 10, but I was like, okay, sounds great. Let's start the process. And we went to our church and we went to uh, an adoption class and they kind of talked about all the ins and outs of all the different kinds of adoption. And I had really wanted to adopt from Africa and he really wanted to adopt from China. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kept saying, don't move forward if you're not on the same page. Right. Okay. So the foster care panel comes up and this was the one thing that we did not want to do because nobody wants to do foster care because the kids are taken away and your heart is broken over and over again. And, mm-hmm. um, so they come up and we both look at each other and we're like, crap, this is what we're supposed to do. Like mm-hmm. it was just very clear to us that that's what we're supposed to do. So we went through the foster care process and we got Andrew placed with us. Um, he was four days old. Oh my goodness. Yeah, he stayed with us until he was eight months old. And so, of course, we fell in love with him. He was our baby. We adored him. And at eight months, he went back to his mom. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this, I'm sorry, this is such a long story, but it's not. (laughs) He went back to his mama, and um, it was like losing a child. It it was as horrible as we thought it would be. Like, it was just awful. Um, we ended up building a relationship with mom and kind of keeping in contact with her. And she ended up moving away to Louisiana. And um, after she moved away, we went ahead and had our fourth biological. Mm-hmm. And then we moved up to Seattle. Okay. And while we were in Seattle, she subsequently had two more children. Okay. And this is where it gets kind of fun and tricky. Mm-hmm. She moved down to Port Arthur and my family's from Beaumont, which is right next to each other. Um, Both really small towns and the odds of this happening are like slim to none. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we move up to Seattle and decide to have our next child. So we have our fifth biological up there. And meanwhile, the kids are taken away down in the Beaumont area um, from with CPS so Andrew, Matthew, and Hannah are all taken away from mama down there. And we have all these connections in Beaumont. So we, we go back to visit my family and end up seeing them. And so it, just how all of that melded together was just kind of fascinating. Um, and so, so we're up in Seattle and the kids are taken away and they're put into foster care uh-huh. in a home down here. And they're, in foster care for about seven months ish. And towards the end of that seven months, this whole time I've been calling the CPS worker and saying like, Hey, how are they? What, you know, can you tell me if we can do anything for them? Mm-hmm. She never returns my calls. Like doesn't yeah. give me the time of day. And I like, talk to people in the office and like plead with them to have her call me back and nothing. And so finally, like right after we had our fifth, it was Palm Sunday and I go, we go to church and the pastor is talking about something. And I'm like, this is the most random sermon I have ever heard. Mm -hmm. He's talking about Jesus weeping over the city. And 
he's talking about who Jesus is weeping for and how he's weeping for the orphan. And of course, these are, these are like my orphans that I think of. Right. Yes. So, um, again, I'm like thinking this is so random, the sermon that he's giving, but at the same time, I'm so convicted. I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm gonna call one more time. But if she doesn't call back, I can't really, mm-hmm. there's some point when you have to just trust that the Lord knows what he's doing. And then other times where he, I know that we're called to advocate for them. So it's kind of like this very fine line of, mm-hmm. I trust you. And at the same time, I'm going to fight for them. Um, but I felt so consumed with fighting for them and it felt like not trusting. So it's like, I'm just, I'm gonna call one more time. If she doesn't call back, I will let it go and just trust that you are going to take care of them. And I called the next day and the woman calls me back and I'm at the zoo with my kids. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. So I finally get to talk to her. And she thought I was in that job because she's never had somebody call to check on kids in foster care, yeah. which is a sad thing in and of itself, yeah. but whatever. So I was able to give her some history to Andrew and kind of tell her my relationship with the family. And she was like, well, you know what? The foster mom right now is kind of wanting to, she's kind of wanting to be done with them. We're talking about terminating rights and the behavior issues and all of the things like foster moms kind of wanting to be done. So it was like, Oh my goodness, we'll take them. What do we need to do? Mm-hmm. So we go through the foster care process up there in Seattle mm-hmm. and we go through that process. So getting trained is not an easy, yeah. not an easy thing. If you know, you go through all the training, you go through the home study, you go through all the paperwork, background checks, all that jazz. Right. Mm-hmm. We did all of that. And then, we get to like kind of the end of the line of approval. And she's like, no, we don't think that this is a good thing. You already have five kids. We can't approve. Like basically we can't take on Texas liability of these three kids that yeah. are really young and put them in your home. Right. Mm-hmm. So business wise, it made sense, but right. For us, it was heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were like, okay, well private adoption. Like, yeah, we try that. We end up getting to the same lady at the end of the line. Cause it's all about interstate. Okay interstate compact situation where, I mean, in theory, I think it's a wonderful thing. I'm sure because they don't want kids being yeah, exploited and all that. Right. So that's a good thing. However, it just did not feel, yeah, it did not feel great. Um, so we tried private adoption. We tried kinship placement. We tried all of these things up there and it finally came down to like, okay, you either needed to move back to Texas and become a foster family in Texas, or you need to give up. Mm-hmm. So what'd you do? Yeah, we just, (laughs) I remember getting the call of like, okay, we're going to go ahead and start looking at other families because it doesn't look like the Seattle thing's going to work out. And I remember we had, my husband and I kind of talked about this before because we had known this was going to be a possibility of like, Hey, you may have to move back or not. Um, And I was at a homeschooling conference and I got the call of, Hey, we're going to move on to somebody else. If you guys can't get them up there, like we're, we're for you, but there's only so much we can do. We need to go ahead and terminate rights and move forward with this process. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, well call my husband. I was like, are you ready? Are we going to do this? And he said, yeah, we're going to do it. So we knew that we would regret it if we did not come down here and try everything in our power to get them back because for so long we, that's all we'd wanted is Andrew to be our son. And, mm-hmm. um, we knew that if we stayed there that we'd regret it, mm-hmm. but if we moved here and tried and we still didn't like, it still didn't work out, but we sold yeah. everything and moved down that, that we would for sure regret that, or we sh- for sure would not regret that. Yeah. 
so we, I mean, within a week we had our house, we had called our realtor, we had sold our cars, we had gotten all the balls rolling. Yeah. We came down to Texas for a wedding for a friend and found a house. And so within a month we were packed up and we were moved out of our Seattle house and moved down to Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next two months we had the foster care process here in Texas and so my husband would fly, fly down for um, trainings and stuff on the weekends, and, but he still had a job up in Seattle, so he had to work, and um, it was just quite the, quite the experience. So after two months, we finally got them, and they were placed with us on Andrew's fourth birthday. That's amazing. Um, yeah, and so Andrew was four, and Matthew was two and a half, and Hannah was 18 months to go along with our newborn baby and our two-year-old and our five, six and eight-year-old. So it was eight children, eight and under and five in diapers. And it was a little crazy, needless to say. I can imagine. I can imagine. You know, what's really striking me about this story is how many things like coincidences clearly were not coincidences. Like from your husband seeing that, that news article to, you know, meeting Andrew to Andrew moving to the town near where you grew up like this. It's amazing when things are supposed to be how they just, they just be. (laughs) It is. And and that's really what, I mean, these, these little buddies are hard. They're really hard. Mm -hmm. They're really hard kids. (laughs) And I think that had it not been for every single one of those, like I mentioned a handful of them, but there were probably 50 yeah. of like the DA doing the case ended up being my brother's good friend. Like just all of these things that you're, I know they're just so random and so coincidental. I remember being at a, a restaurant up in Seattle one day and we we're talking to the kids of like, Hey, we may have to move back. This is what's going on. And this guy comes over from another table and says, Hey, I just want you to know that I was adopted out of foster care. And I think what you're doing is really cool. I was totally eavesdropping on your conversation and um, basically just wanted to encourage us and tell us that how much it meant to him, his story and all of the stuff. So just a million little things like that, where everywhere along the way, I was like, okay, this is what the Lord had for us. And this is, we are for sure being obedient. Mm-hmm. It makes it easier to, to go through this hardness of life mm-hmm. and you can look back and know that hands down, this is what we're supposed to be doing, you know? Yeah. The coincidence weren't coincidence at all. Yeah. Wow. Wow. This is, <laughs> I'm just like, what an amazing story. How are the kids now? Um, they're good. So the other piece of our journey yeah, tell in me. getting them has been, um, so a lot of times when I don't know how familiar you are with adoption, but a lot of times my parents, actually, we went through, we had foster kids in our house. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that was a, that was something that was really important to them. It didn't end up coming to the point of adoption like they wanted, but I mean, that always stuck with me. And then a lot of, we have family friends that have adopted a lot of kids. So. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So one of the things that people will say often is like once, you know, they're going to be really delayed and they're going to have all of these issues, but once they're in a safe place and they feel safe and after about two years, they're going to catch up. And mm-hmm. I don't know why that's a magical mark, but every book and every expert says that, right? 
And so about the two-year mark, I'm like, yeah, they're not catching up. They're pretty delayed all across the board a lot. Like they're really delayed. And so um, just making those observations of taking all that information in, they were in all sorts of therapies and we had a ton of behavior issues with Andrew and just crazy things that, you know, like a five-year-old should not be sneaking out of the house at night and trying to start the car. Just things like that that are like really dangerous and not okay. Yeah. So we would see like every expert under the sun trying to figure it all out. And from all of this, we have come up with a diagnosis of fetal alcohol syndrome disorder. Mm-hmm. And then kind of under that umbrella, there's a gazillion things that kind of fall under that umbrella, but one of them being IDD, which is intellectual and developmental delay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from those diagnoses, A, it's so good to like have answers and know that we're not, because <laughs> part of you is thinking, well, what am I doing wrong? Am I not creating a safe environment for them that they feel safe and they're able to catch up? Um, So that allowed for a lot of grace towards myself and towards them of like, they're just not capable of this. And so you cannot let up expectations of everything. Uh Um, So it definitely allowed for grace, but also allowed for services. And so we have been able to find services for them and get help. And it has been so life-giving to have help. Uh So, yeah, yeah, definitely take extra hands and expertise because. Yes. Yeah. I always talk about people in their zone of genius. Like you can't do it all. You have the thing, like, clearly you have all the love to give them a safe home, but you can't do all the things for them. No. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one of the things that I work with when you say, like, you're a super mom. I'm like, "Mm, no. I think that it's more that I'm like, I figured out the things that I can do well, and I focus on those things. And then there's a million things I can't do, and I can't do well. And I'm able to delegate those out to other people. And that has been so freeing. And so that's one of the things I work with with mamas is helping them realize what they can do and what is good for them to do. It gives them life. Mm-hmm. The things that drain them and wear them down, like, hey, let's get this off your plate and delegate them out to somebody else or either by having help come in or giving them to your kids or asking help from your husband. So yeah. I think that so much of our society is mom should be doing it all. She should be the cook and the maid. And it's not the case. That's not the case. Nobody can just kind of what I mean by super mom is that you have to have that wherewithal that you can't do it all. You can't hold on to that mental load of I have to know what the laundry is and when we're gonna eat and when we're gonna yes. do this and who did their homework. What about there's so many things. Yes. But you have to be able to let go and give yourself some grace. I mean you just look so calm when you came on the screen, like this woman knows what's up. <laughs> we're like, oh, I can't know that. None of that. It was, this is my story. And uh, and then I just, just, just seeing that from you because we're on Zoom for those who are listening. I can see you. And yeah, I just like, I just, you just have a very calming presence. Thank you. If you could give someone, you've given us so much advice <laughs> just in the story, but if you could give us one piece of advice, what would it be? Um, this may sound silly, but I often will look at my life and the choices I'm going to make as in 
what will this look like 15 years from now? So in this lovely COVID-19 crisis, I keep thinking about my kids and what they're going to get from it and what they're going to remember from it. And Lord knows they're not going to remember all of the schooling that happened. And so I'm trying to let go of that and all of that stress and trying to bring some fun to it. And, um, like, I think that it would be really great if they thought back on this time and they're like, you know what? We had some really good times as a family when we were all stuck inside and we got to play these games and we had this tradition of one of our new traditions is mattress Mondays. And we're bringing all the mattresses into the living room and watching movies on the mattresses. Mondays. Um, so silly, but I'm like, they're going to remember that. And hopefully they'll, they'll look fondly back on this and not be overwhelmed with the stress that was this time. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know if that's advice. Is that advice? I think that's kind of, I think that, that falls under advice. Always be looking forward about how you want to look back. Like yeah. that's, that's kind of how I roll. It's like, what, what do I really care about with my kids? What do I really want to enforce with them and really want them to be like and be shaped by? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I my words are making sense. No, you're making sense. Awesome. If someone wanted to get in contact with you and learn from you, how would they find you? At mamasystems.net. At mamasystems on Instagram and mamasystems on Facebook. Yeah. Pretty basic. Perfect. Easy yeah. to find. Mama Systems. Yes. Laura, this has been fabulous and I'm super inspired by your story. Thank you so much for sharing. You're so sweet. I'm so glad to get to talk to you. (laughs) What did you take away from Laura's story? What would you push for? If you'd like to learn more about the Push or Pivot podcast, visit us on Instagram at Push or Pivot or on the web at pusherpivot.com. I'm Thea Charles, and I hope you gain insight from this story. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and join me next time on the Push or Pivot podcast.